Well, let's bow in prayer once again before we look into God's Word this morning. Lord, those are some of the greatest truths that are put to lyrics, that Christ has regarded our helpless estate, and he has shed his own blood for my soul, that all our sins have been nailed to the cross such that Christ bore our sins in our place. And that's why we can look forward in faith to when we shall see Christ. And so as we look at our world, we say, O oh Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. But until then, Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you have given us every resource that we need to live in this world, including your church. We thank you for your people with whom we walk side by side in this world. And we thank you that you speak. We thank you that you are not silent. We thank you that you bless us with your word. It is your word that helps, helps us make it from where we are now to being with you forever in your presence. And so we ask that even in these moments as we hear from you and as we look to your son, we ask that you would sanctify us with your truth, that you would empower us with your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your copy of God's Word to 2 Peter chapter 1. We always encourage you to bring a copy of God's Word to church. If you're like me, you always make sure you have a few things long wherever you go. You've got your keys, you've got your wallet, you've maybe got your purse or your diaper bag. For me, I have to make sure I bring my glasses now. And I would encourage you to make your Bible a part of what is essential when you come to church. I know those things to remember to bring along start adding up, but don't forget your Bible. We are a Bible church, that is, we believe that God's Word is our final authority, simply because it is God's Word. This represents His voice, and all that to say, bring a Bible to church. If you don't have one, please ask us, and we will make sure to give you one. We would be happy to make sure you have one. And really, the Bible as God's Word is God's kind gift to us. It is His divine aid to help Christians to make it, to make it from conversion, as I just prayed, from the new birth to entering heaven. God has given this word to you, and you need these words to help you to get there. And that's actually part of the point of this small portion of God's word that we're going to be looking at today. And it's also part of the point of the whole short letter of Second Peter. God knows that life in this world is filled with all kinds of obstacles and all kinds of things, landmines, that are on the path that leads to heaven. Most of them having to do with enticements to veer off the path. But Second Peter was written and was preserved for us today to prepare us to recognize those enticements and to recognize those allurements and those temptations for what they are. For the fact that they are 
false and faulty promises, that they are empty and futile promises, actually untrue promises that find their source sometimes in false teachers. Peter, 2 Peter is God's gift to Christians to equip us and to prepare us to recognize these false teachings for what they are. Mostly, they help us to recognize false teachings by helping us to recognize that God's promises are more precious and God's promises are greater than what the world holds out to us. And in the section right at the beginning of this letter, in verses 3 to 11 of chapter 1, it starts there in verse 3 by saying that God has given us everything we need. And it ends, if you look down at verse 11, by saying that if, if you use all these things that God gave you, it will ultimately serve to help you walk through the entrance that leads you into the glorious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It gets you from the beginning of the journey to the end of the journey. That's why I talked about bringing your Bible to church. It's a way of illustrating this passage. God has given us his word, and his word will help us get from here to heaven, but we actually have to use it. We actually have to read it. We may have to actually bring it. Just listen to that flow of thought from 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 11. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And so you see here the flow of thought. We could summarize it by saying that God provides something. We, therefore, have to take it up and use it. But the payoff is that God uses his supply to, in the end, throw open the doors for our glorious entrance into eternity where we will enjoy the presence of God forever. Bringing your Bible to church is just a small way of picturing that. 
Maybe another way of thinking it, of it is, is gardening, or on a larger scale, farming. Lots of that going on around here these days. Someone gives us a seed, or in some fashion, we come in possession of a seed. A seed is a beautiful thing, because we know what it can become. It is a gift from God, and not only does God provide the seed, he also provides then the sun and the moisture and the oxygen to help that seed germinate and to grow. But in order for it to come to fruition, literally, in order for it to bear fruit, it often requires us to do something. We have to get that seed into the ground. We have to cover it with soil, and, and sometimes, depending on the season and the plant, we have to water it, or we have to add something to the soil, or we have to hill the soil, or stake up the plant, or to cut back some growth, or to protect it from weeds, or protect it from bugs, protect it from hail, those sorts of elements. If we really want to see that seed flourish into something delicious, there are certain things we can do to get it there. Well, like any analogy, it breaks down at certain points, but that's kind of a picture of the Christian life and, and the flow of this passage. It starts off with God's gracious provision for his people. He creates the seed. He gives new birth, as he puts it in other places. It is God who gives life in the very first place. And so, verses 3 and 4 are all about what God has granted to us, that's the word he uses there, in new life, and how God has supplied us with all things to help us get from new birth to eternal life. And then verses 5 to 9 talk about our efforts in taking everything that God has graciously supplied and utilizing those things to assure ourselves that the seed is alive and that our faith is real. And if that is indeed the case, we will be diligent to make it grow. In the bring your Bible picture, true Christians will put effort into knowing the Christ after whom they are named. They will put effort into knowing the Christ after whom they are named. True followers of the Lord Jesus will put effort into knowing the Jesus they claim to follow. And then verses 10 and 11 assure us that those efforts at godliness and Christ-likeness are worth it because they will help us arrive at the prize. They will help us to get there. And so that's where P Peter is heading here, off the, right off the top of this letter. This, this really encapsulates the Christian life in a few short verses. God's grace and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the foundation for our progress in godliness from seed to fruit and to God bringing us home then to live with him forever. And it all begins with God. It all begins with his grace toward sinners. Just note this again, it always has to start with God. Life does not come unless God grants life. Just as the Bible starts with God saying, let there be light, and there was light, so life only starts when God commands life. Right? Before God spoke that command in Genesis 1-3, Genesis 1 verse 2 says the earth was formless and void. 
And it says that darkness was everywhere. But God says, let there be light, and there was light. And that's also true with sinners. There was nothing there. No life. We were spiritually formless and void. Darkness pervaded our being. No spiritual pulse. Until God comes and says, let there be life. And there is life. God illustrates, Jesus illustrates that perfectly in the, in the resurrection of Lazarus. Right? Lazarus is stinking dead in a tomb. Jesus comes and says, come forth, Lazarus. And Lazarus comes out. That's the illustration. That's what it's like for us spiritually. There is no life until God says, let there be life. Peter described it like that in his first letter. 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Paul uses actually Genesis 1 language in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, where he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, still thinking of God as creator, as he talked about him there in chapter 4, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, what? A new creation. John says in John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, as to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How did that happen? It says, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All the biblical writers view conversion like that. It only happens as God grants new life. But not only does God grant us new life, he grants us the ability and the desire to grow in the Christian life. He, he starts it, and then he continues it. Look there in, in 2 Peter 1, verse 3 again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see those words again in verse 4, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises. Those two verses highlight what God has granted to us, what God has gifted us. They highlight the grace of God the Father and God the Son. This is the divine provision. God's divine power grants us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us, that's conversion, to his own glory and excellence. But not only does he call us, and just a reminder, Romans 8 says that whom God calls, he justifies. Just as not only does he call us, he also supplies everything we need to become godly, to become more like God. That's the process we're all in. We're becoming more like God. That's verse 4. God grants us his precious and very great promises. Why? So that through them you might become partakers, get this, of the divine nature. You may become partakers of God's nature. That just means that God is so kind that he grants us his promises so that we would become more like him so that we would start to take on his characteristics, so that we would start to 
resemble His attributes. Listen, that can only happen by God's power. We can't become more like God on our own power. We would never even want to if left to ourselves. Only God can make us more godly. But make us godly is what God wants to do. And he's given us all the resources we need in order to get there. All the resources, especially his Holy Spirit, also the Bible, also the church. And you could go on and list a number of other things that God has granted us everything that we need. Such that we have no excuse. Just think about the benefits that come as the, that result from these precious and very great promises. If you're a Christian, this is what God is working into you right now. This is what God is working into you. You might not know it. It might not always feel like it. But God is making you more godly. That's what he's putting in. He's putting himself into you such that you are increasingly growing to resemble him to resemble his glory, to resemble his goodness. And at the same time, look at the end of verse 4, he's taking sinful desires out of you. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. He's putting his goodness and his righteousness in, and he's taking evil desires out. Listen, God has already rescued us from the corruption of the world. Praise God for that. He provided a way of escape through his son, but he also makes sure that we will keep on escaping. That's the tense of the verb there. As time goes on, as you're becoming more like God, the world starts to look less and less attractive to you and more and more futile. And so I wonder, is that your experience? Just think of your life as a Christian, however Long that might be. Maybe you've just been a Christian for 30 days. Maybe you've been a Christian for 30 years. Have you noticed that some of the things that you once valued, maybe your image, maybe your identity, maybe your achievements, maybe your education, maybe some of your treasured collections, have you noticed those things that you once valued seem less and less valuable? Have you noticed that some of your sinful desires are not as desirable as they once were? If so, all the credit and glory goes to God. He is doing that work in you through the Holy Spirit. He is making you more holy, is another way to put it. And because God is working in you through the saving knowledge of His Son, it's because of that that He now, number two, calls you to put forth effort in becoming more like Him. And so as we move ahead to this next section, always remember that order. Don't let verses 3 and 4 go out of your memory. God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness for this reason. Looking back at verses 3 and 4, for this reason, verse 5, make every effort. And so here comes the command. Here comes the action step. But we can't do the act unless God has first acted on us in the person of his Son. Does that make sense here in the order? Are you seeing this? However, that does not mean that we then are passive. It doesn't mean that we just let go and let God. We have to put some effort, great effort, in becoming who God wants us to be. Your godliness is not fully formed at the moment that you became a Christian. 
God allowed you to see Christ and to know Christ in order to be saved. You've turned from your sins. You've trusted in Christ alone. You are wondrously and gloriously saved. Yes, amen. Praise the Lord for that. But God's power has granted to you all things for godliness so that you would supplement your faith with all of those virtues listed there in verses 5 and 6 and 7. Tom Schreiner writes that godly character does not emerge from passivity. Godly character does not emerge from passivity. It requires, it says here, no small degree of effort. Make every effort. Now, we won't spend a lot of time on the individual items in that list of characteristics. And by the way, these are not meant to be a progression. Sometimes maybe you can read them that way. It looks like that in the text in the sense that you work on one and you have to master it before you go on to the next one. It's, it's not like that. This isn't what the point is here. These qualities, we get all of them when we're born again. But the point is we have to put every effort to supplement faith with these qualities. It starts there with faith. The chain is meant to help us understand that we have to put effort into growing as Christians. That's the point. We are graciously called, we're graciously enabled to grow in faith and in virtue and in knowledge and in self-control and in steadfastness and in godliness and brotherly affection and love. Why? Why put all this effort into it? What, what is the immediate payoff? What will this kind of effort produce? Well, beside making you look more like Christ and less like the world, which is enough. Remember verse 4? That's what it said there. Besides increasingly rooting out our sinful desires, expending effort on your godly character will help you for two reasons here. And you see them in verses 8 and 9. Look at verse 8. For, so here comes the reason. For, if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want ineffective and unfruitful in our Christian life, do we? But that's what will happen if we put no effort into becoming more like Jesus Christ. If we don't engage in this relentless pursuit of godliness, if there is no growth, if there's no increase in these qualities, then we will not become more godly, which is what our aim is. Going back to our picture from the beginning, if we have a Bible, but don't put any effort into knowing it, into knowing what's in it, we could still be described as godly, but we won't grow anymore in godliness. If we don't give any attention to the seed, it might still become a plant, but with effort, it can flourish into something scrumptious, God has granted to you everything pertaining to life and godliness so that your faith might grow and flourish rather than becoming ineffective. Another way of saying that is useless or unfruitful. So determine to make every effort to grow in those qualities, in the strength of the Lord, and you will become effective and fruitful. Fruitful in what? in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the goal of this pursuit. That is the goal of this effort. Jesus, 
Jesus is God's Son. Jesus came from the glories of heaven down to the grunginess of this world in order to save sinners like you and me. Jesus is now your Lord. He's your Master. Wouldn't you want to know Him more? Wouldn't you want to know Him better? Wouldn't you want to know Him in deeper ways? The path to knowing Him, the path to effectiveness and fruitless and fruitfulness is to make every effort to grow in these qualities. Because if you don't, verse 9 says, whoever lacks these qualities is not only ineffective and unfruitful, but is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Okay, so now this is getting serious, isn't it? This is no longer optional. We, we could drift into thinking, ah, forgot to read the Bible, but it's still okay. No, I forgot to water the plant, but, but it's, it's okay, I'll get it tomorrow. But not putting in the effort to becoming like God and to knowing Jesus Christ over an extended period of time has some serious consequences, doesn't it? If you look at your life and there's little virtue... Let's just go through the list here. If you look at your life and there's little virtue, you, maybe you watch things and you do things and you talk like an unbeliever. Or there's no knowledge. You, you, never, you never crack open your Bible. You never put yourself into places where you can grow in your knowledge of God. Or there's no self-control. You can't stop yourself from sinning. Or no steadfastness. Things get a little tough and, and you give in. Or no godliness. You start to look more like the world than God. Or you care more about yourself than your fellow Christians. There's no brotherly affection. There's no love. If you lack those qualities, it says you are so nearsighted that you are blind and have forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. What does that mean, nearsighted? Well, to not have those qualities affects your sight and it affects your memory. Those are interesting qualities. Those are the qualities that seem to go as we get older, isn't it? As our our bodies start to decay, we can't see well and we become a little bit forgetful. Well, we can't stop that process, but we apparently we can do some things to, to restrain the process, to slow the process down a little bit. We can eat carrots. Apparently, is that true, that they're good for your eyes? Eat lots of carrots, that's what my mom always told me. Um, You can, for your memory, you can do Sudoku. (laughs) You know, you can read, read, you can do crossword puzzles, do the jumble. Apparently those things are better for helping to retain memory. But spiritual blindness and being spiritually forgetful are far more serious. Nearsighted and blind. This means that our focus is so much on this world that we set our eyes so much on the things on this earth to such a degree that our so-called conversion has lost all of its effect. That's what this is talking about. Uh, There's no difference, no noticeable difference. Blind, in the spiritual sense, describes an unbeliever in other places in the Bible. We even sing the song, right? I once was blind, but now I see. And so people who lack those qualities do not look anything like a Christian after a time. 
And the same goes for forgetfulness. They have forgotten that they were cleansed from their former sins. Their, their life gives no evidence of having been saved and converted and forgiven. Where there's no growth in godliness, where there is no noticeable evidence that someone has actually escaped the corruption that is in the world, it just looks like they still have the corruption that's in the world, where people constantly give in to their sinful desires, there is no evidence that someone has been truly converted. Well, I hope that we all see the danger there. In the progression of this letter, we'll see that the real danger of this lack of growth and godliness is that it renders people susceptible to false teachers. Everything they teach is going to sound good if you don't keep on working on godliness. You'll have no filter, no ability to discern truth from error. And so putting effort into growing in these areas will help you say, when you hear something, whoa, wait a minute, something doesn't sound right there. And so God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. And you must put effort into your growth in godliness. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Paul says in conclusion, this is number three, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Did you hear that? Let me read it again, just so you're clear about what that actually said. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. This is a fail safe promise. And just remember, it's coming from Peter. Peter, who may have experienced the biggest failure of faith ever when it comes to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To walk with Jesus, to be in his company for three years, and then to deny knowing him? It doesn't get any worse than that. But even though Peter failed, he never fell And so he's writing from first-hand experience here. Before that even happened, before Peter even denied Jesus three times, Jesus assured Peter that he would not fall. In Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, he says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Jesus says, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, notice he assumes that he will, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so that's exactly what Peter's doing right here. He's strengthening brothers and sisters in Christ. He's looking back at his own experience and saying, keep looking back to your calling and your election by God, which is what makes your faith rock solid because it's a calling and election from God that's immovable, then give yourself to practice these qualities. And if you do that, you will never fall. Jesus will make sure of it. This is, I think the goal here that Peter's writing this is to give us assurance of our faith. And then verse 11. If we're using God's divine power in the pursuit of godliness, there's another promise. Not only will you not fall, but you're, not, but you're going to make it to the end. 
God is going to get you there. And Peter puts it in such an inviting way, doesn't he here? For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's like at the end of this pursuit, God is going to throw open the doors of his eternal kingdom. You might be picturing here, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, the celestial city. God is going to open the doors of his eternal kingdom and he will roll out the red carpet for you and you will look up and you will see your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will make it by God's divine power. The pursuit will be worth it. The following Jesus will be worth it. The hardships and discouragements that you face along the way will be worth it. The saying no to temptations and to to temporary pleasures will be worth it. The self-denial will be worth it. The loss of friends and family will be worth it. The persecution will be worth it. Commit your ways to the Lord. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. Make every effort to know him, and he will direct your paths, and he will get you through this life, and will take you right on through to the entrance to eternal life. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, this, this little section contains such impactful and powerful truth. It speaks of your power, and your grace in each of our lives. It speaks of your grace and power in the life of our church. We are not without your power. We are not without your resources to survive and to thrive in the Christian life. In fact, we are not missing one thing. You have granted us all things for life and godliness. And so in view of that, we ask for your help as we seek then to use all your resources in making every effort to grow and in being diligent to confirm our calling and election. Thank you for describing these as your precious and very great promises, especially the promise that our faith will not fail and that you will provide entrance into the eternal kingdom of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, why don't you stand for the benediction today? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.